by Passion Church, the DeSoto County campus, the fun church in Horn Lake, Mississippi. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church. Today, since it's almost Christmas, you know it's the Christmas season, I thought we'd uh, preach a message entitled, Going to Whoville. <laughs> Here he goes again. But today's message is basically going to ask the question, who am I? Look at your neighbor and say, who am I? Look at your neighbor and say, who are you? Look at your neighbor and say, why aren't you sounding like an owl? Who? Who? <clears throat> We're going to find out who we really are meant to be. You know, we got a lot of versions of ourselves that we have learned to live within, constrain ourselves to over the years. We've tried to reinvent ourselves so many times. Aren't you tired of that? <laughs> Wouldn't you rather just be who you're called to be, who God made you to be? Well, that's what we're going to talk about. 1 Corinthians 15, 10. First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 10. We'll read it out of the New King James Version says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. That's what Paul said, and that's what I often say. You know, anything good in me, it's by the grace of God. It's what he gave. You know what grace is, right? It's what, something we didn't deserve that he gave us, the gifts that he made us. And Paul's saying, I am what I am by his grace, and that's what I want to be. Now, if you're something else besides what God's grace gave you, then don't blame that on God. Are you listening? Because God's grace will make you what you're supposed to be. Jesus told a parable about the uh, talents. He said there was a master and he had three servants and he was going away on a trip. So he gave one servant five talents, one servant two talents, one servant one talent, according to their abilities. Thank goodness we're not all judged according to those five talent peoples, right? <laughs> I feel like a one-talent person, but I'm doing good for a one-talent person. You know, that's, that's good. That's all you need to do is be who God called you to be. But anyway, a talent, you know, one, one version of the Bible calls it bags of silver. You know, he gave five bags of silver to one and three to another. And, well, you know the story. You've heard this many times. The, the guy with the five bags of silver, while the master was gone, he invested. He invested what the master gave him. And it brought a return. It was fruit. What the master gave you will produce fruit. So he doubled his money. So did the guy with two bags. And so when the Lord came back and said, what did you do with what I gave you? The one guy says, well, I was able to double your investment in me, the talents you gave me. Here's ten bags. Well done, thy good and faithful servant. Ain't that what we want to hear? Well, the, the two-bagger two bag, the two did the same thing. But the one-bagger, he was scared. I don't know if he was, some people think maybe he was scared. Some people think he was just wicked. God called him wicked and slothful, lazy. He didn't do anything with what God gave him. He hid God's stuff in the earth. I like to think of hiding 
your talents in the earth is like he spent all his time trying to be something in America, trying to be this or that, you know, trying to be something for the world's sake. He hid it in the earth. He said, Lord, here, here's your money back. And God said, you wicked and slothful servant. Wicked means twisted. You got it all twisted. You didn't understand what I wanted you to be. And you didn't use it, your talents that I gave you for what you were supposed to do. You know, I can say I've never been slothful. I've always had zeal for life. I always wanted to be something. My problem was not the lazy, the slothful. My problem was I didn't invest the right talents. Maybe you're like that. I didn't invest what God put in me. In fact, I, I remember being a young man, maybe 14, 15 years old, when I got my first guitar. And I said, I'm going to be a rock and roll star, you know. I, wanted, I was investing in being a rock and roll star. I wanted to be famous. But, you know, maybe that wasn't part of the gifts that God gave me, part of the talents that I had to be. Because I remember we started that first band, me and old Hal on the bass, and, and we had an 11-year-old drummer, and he was the best one in the band by far. <laughs> I mean, we were, we were making dogs bark miles away, especially when I would begin to sing. I mean, we were so bad that we couldn't get a singer. No singer, no, no reasonable singer in his right mind wanted to sing with us. We had one for like a week or two, and he left. And then we would practice, but somebody had to sing the songs that we were learning, right? So being full of zeal and wanting to do something great, I said, I'll, I'll try to sing. I could barely play guitar by itself, but then I'm trying to sing and play at the same time. And we would... I would try to get us through the songs. And we were hoping one day to get a singer because I know that because after every practice, the other guys in the band would sit around and say, we need a singer. Bad. <laughs> and I agreed. I knew I couldn't sing. Well, but I kept on because we, could, we didn't have nobody else and I just never knew when to quit. My, ask my wife. She, she'll tell you, he never knew when to quit. <laughs> But uh, when I was about 19 or 20, I can't remember, there was a, a battle of the bands in Memphis at the Cook Convention Center. I think it was set up by Amro Music or something. They put up a big stage, and, and we thought, man, we're going we're gonna to win this thing. We had a three-piece band. About that time, I had got into Stevie Ray Vaughan. He was my favorite blues player, man. I loved, he, he was tearing that guitar up, and I wanted to be him, man. And, and we played a lot of his songs and stuff. So we went there, and I'll never forget I come busting up in the Cook Convention Center with a sleeveless shirt trying to show muscles I didn't have. I had on one of those John Jeans hats back there. <laughs> and I, it, I thought it looked cool on me. I had a, like a little mullet going on and stuff. And uh, I brought my shiny red Stratocaster in there. And we were just a three-piece, and we got up on that big stage, and we started playing. And I thought, man, I'm going to be the next Stevie Ray. And I started playing, and before the song was over, I had slung it around behind my head and was screeching out a few notes, and, and I had turned it behind my back, and I was playing. I just thought I was, by the time I got down, I was going to have a record deal, surely. But you know what people did? Oh, my gosh, who is that guy? You ever made a complete fool out of yourself? Because I was trying to be something I wasn't gifted to be. 
I didn't have the ability to play like Stevie Ray Vaughan. I didn't even have the ability to sing like Stevie Ray Vaughan, and he can't sing that well. <laughs> so I made a fool out of myself, and I have many times in the past. So it's not slothfulness that's my problem. Maybe that's your problem. Maybe you're just lazy. Maybe you need a kick in the rear end. <laughs> well, that's what we're here to do today. We're going to line y'all up after the sermon. <laughs> Wouldn't that be something? Go tell, tell that to the news. The church I went to, they kicked everybody in the rear. <laughs> Well, we are you going to spiritually? Because <laughs> I don't want you making a fool out of yourself. I don't want you to live your life and not be who God called you to be. Amen? But we're in good company. The Apostle Paul, he started out with much zeal, but in the wrong direction. He loved the letter of the law. He was a Pharisee. And, uh, you know, the Bible says the letter of the law kills. But the Spirit bringeth life. And God said, I got a better plan for you, Saul. So he knocked him off his high horse on the way one day and turned his life around, gave him a new name, called him Paul. says, instead of being a, a man of the letter of the law, I'm going to make you a champion of my grace. And Paul was the one that teaches all the doctrines that we see. He wrote most of the New Testament, you see, and tells us about the grace and the goodness of God. And so he, let me ask you, are you enthusiastic about what Jesus is doing in your life today? Somebody better stop lying. For real. I mean, some of us are enthusiastic about our golf game, our fishing, boat. We're enthusiastic a lot of, about a lot of things. Some of us just lost all enthusiasm. But is there anybody in here that's enthusiastic about what God is doing in your life? Paul said in uh, Romans 15, 17, he said, So I have reason to be enthusiastic about all Christ has done through me in my service to God. I want to be able to say that, that I'm enthusiastic about all Jesus Christ has done. Because everything we do in our own strength isn't going to amount to anything. Say you win the whole world. Say you are Stevie Ray Vaughan, but you lose your own soul. What's that going to gain? We have to laser our focus in on what Christ is doing through me, what Christ put in me to use Narrow our focus so that we can be enthusiastic about this stuff. After all, who sets our standard of success in life? Say who. Who do you suppose? The world. No, hopefully not the world. But most people judge their standard of success about other people, comparing themselves to other people in the world. You know, I could have been great. If, say if I was a great guitar player, which I'm not, or a singer. But say I was, and say I was famous and, and all this stuff. Whoop-dee-doo. There's always going to be somebody else better. And you're never going to reach that pinnacle. In the world's eyes, you have to be the best of the best, or they're going to they're lift you up as a hero one moment and, and slam you down as a zero the next. They only lift people up in the world so that they can turn them down later. 
Do you know anybody famous that they don't lift them up and then try to tear them down? That's the world's way, but we don't measure our standard of success by the world's standards. Many people define themselves today by secondary issues. They define themselves by the, the amount of pigment in their skin, by their sexual preferences. Lord, help us, Jesus. You better define your sexual preference by what God says. Or they define themselves against standards that they were never gifted to achieve. Like me and Stevie Ray Vaughan. I was set up to fail. I could never be that. Because God didn't gift me to be that. Who will you be judged by in the end? Say who. Who, who. We sound like doves more than we do owls. Well, who created you? And then his job to judge you? Because he's the one who knows what he created you to be. Some of us are going to stand before God one day and say, man, I was the best at this. You should have seen all I did, God. And he says, yeah, but I didn't tell you to do none of that. That was not my plan for your life. Then who should define you? God should. He created us. Only he has the blueprint for your life. So you're in the right place today. I'm not going to tell you. But you're in a place where you can begin to discover your purpose in the Lord. Romans 12, 2 says, Don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you. See, your life is hidden with God in Christ Jesus, and he's the word of God. Your plan, your destiny, your gifts, everything that you're supposed to be, you will find in the word of God and through prayer. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good, pleasing, and perfect. And that's where you're going to find that ah moment. Ah, I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. So what about us collectively? How does God see all our quirky little selves coming together as a body? Because God doesn't just deal with lone rangers. He's putting together a church. He's putting together a family. He's putting together the body of Christ. So we have to learn to put who we are together with who that person is next to you, behind you. We need to find the right body that God wants us to be in, and then we need to, to learn to play well together in this sandbox called earth. Paul goes on to say in Romans 12, verse 4, just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We're all many parts of one body and we all belong to each other. If we'd get a revelation of that, your church life would change tremendously. You belong to me. And I belong to you. You say, it don't matter if I don't come, I don't show up. I don't matter if I, I do any, somebody will do it. 
Yeah, somebody that's already wore out from doing stuff other people don't do. Yes, you have a part to play here. I want you to know that. So today, we're going to talk about our Who banner. It's been a while, but we have to remind ourselves lest we forget. Because when I became pastor seven years ago, the first thing the Lord began to do in me and in this congregation was begin to say, who are we as a body of Christ? Do you know different churches have different gifts, different callings? So when you find the right body that God's called you to, then you have a culture. And God wanted to show us the culture that he wants us to have. It might not be the same culture that he wants to the Methodist church down the road to have. They may have their own culture, but we're going to talk about our culture. We are a warm, fun-loving family. Don't you like that? Eager to reach out with God's love to all who have lost their way. You see, everyone matters. You're sitting there saying, I don't matter. Somebody is. Yes, you do. Don't think you don't. Maybe that's why God has you here today to show you. You matter. You see, we're a hospital of hope and a fire igniting the passionate pursuit of true purpose. That's what we're talking about today, true purpose. You have a true purpose in people's lives. We all have a true purpose, and we have a true purpose collectively as a body of Christ. You say, but you, you preach on that a lot, Pastor. I remember last year you, yes. Because if you don't remind people, they'll forget who they are. And besides, we have a lot of new people here today. People who haven't been here long enough to hear who we are. In fact, today at 1.30 in our Next Step class that, that I preach every Sunday at 1.30 is the first Sunday of the month. And it's talking about the church. We'll expand on what we're talking about tomorrow even deeper. We'll go into our other banners and tell you who we are. So it would be a great day for you to plan to go get something to eat and come back. You don't have to tell them that at the end now, Nicholas. Culture. What is culture when I say culture? Culture is the acquired knowledge, one translation or one definition says, the acquired knowledge people use to interpret experience and generate behavior. How do you interpret what God is doing, the experience that God has in you? And how is it generating a new behavior? If we all get on the same page and and this becomes our culture, warm, fun, loving, happy, reaching out kind of people, a hospital of hope where everybody matters, we can do special things here on the earth because God wants us to come together. One to put 1,000 to flight, but two to put 10,000 to flight exponential together and God's plan is for us to have this culture and so when we're talking about the culture of the church we're not only talking about what you come in here and do on Sundays yeah we can be warm and fun loving to each other on Sundays but what about Monday when that person owes you for the bake sale or something and hadn't paid you in three weeks or something but what about if that was not just the culture for your church But what if that's the culture for the members of this church? And we took that culture into our jobs, into our homes, into our friends. It's an avenue. It's a culture that God wants to use 
make you a soul winner. To make you put those talents into use so that you'll produce fruit. You'll produce a harvest for the kingdom of God. That's good preaching. It's who we are. Say who. <laughs> so, okay, we'll go through a few. We ain't even going to get through the first sentence today, so y'all relax. We are a warm, fun-loving family. Our church should feel warm. How many felt a warmth when you come in here? So our culture is still strong. When you come into the Passion Church, you should feel the Spirit of God, first of all. You know, we've been baptized with fire. It should be warm in here. You know what I'm saying? When you walk in here, it should be like snuggling up next to a warm fireplace. It just feels right. Like an old worn-in glove that you put on. It just slips right on. Some big old fat socks you put on your feet. You know, it, you should feel it when you come in here. People loving on one another, encouraging one another, weeping with one another. Whatever it takes to show that warmth, fun-loving. Is the church supposed to have fun? Wait a minute. I don't know about that. Where does it say that? I'll tell you this. Jesus didn't love no stuffy church. He didn't hang out with the Pharisees and those pointing fingers and talking about people. and, and He'd rather hang out with the tax collectors. Not that he was sinning with them, but he was getting them saved. And they were appreciative of being forgiven. Stuffy religion is not, it's not for me. I don't know if it's for you. <laughs> but if I see that our church ain't being fun anymore, then something's wrong to me. I love coming to church. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Do you get joy from stuffiness? <laughs> I like having a good time in the Lord. I love it. So we're a warm, fun-loving family. We're a family. And I, I don't know if we all get that. Do you think maybe Tony and Denise get that? They lost their daughter last Sunday, Saturday. And they came to church on Sunday. Why? Because they wanted to be with family. Because they believe in the concept of family, the reality of their church home being their family, people to pray. Is, am I to, Tony, you're here. Is that the way you feel? He believes in what we're doing here, the culture and the family that we become together. Acts 2.42 It says, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. This is the early church. So, yes, they had teaching. They had somebody get up here and, and talk about the Word of God. But it says, and to fellowship. Say fellowship. fellowship. Well, that's not very spiritual. I beg to disagree. It says it is right here in the Bible. The early church did it. Fellowship is one of the major pillars of a healthy church. It goes on to say, and in the sharing of meals. That sounds like our life groups during the week. Including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. Those are the things that the early church did. And I think those are important. One of the things, another key to church survivability 
is a lack of strife and drama. Nobody wants to come somewhere where they're going to get talked about behind their back or somebody's going to stab them in the back. Church should be drama-free. <laughs> you know, when you bring strife and drama into the church, it's like inviting fleas into your bed where you got to sleep. I ain't going to say what Angie said. She said it's like peeing in the pool that you got to swim in, but I'm not going to say that. But keep that dog out your bed now. Look, nobody wants that drama here. <laughs> you got enough drama at home, okay? You got enough drama at your job, in the, in the world, on the media. How about let's be drama-free? No more drama, right, Mama? 1 Corinthians 3.3. 3. Paul is dealing with a... A new church hadn't found their way yet. Don't know their culture. Don't know how they're supposed to behave as Christians. It's the Corinth church at Corinth. He says, you're still carnal. For where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal? Meaning fleshly, just ungodly. Are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? Let me tell you something. You're not a mere mortal if you've been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. You have the Holy Spirit dwelling on the inside of you. You're a temple of the living God. You're not just an old sinner saved by grace anymore. You're saved by grace. You're a new creation in Christ Jesus. And we're not supposed to act like that old dead person. We've been called to the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead now dwells in my mortal body. I'm a walking resurrection. There's, I should kindle that fire. We talked about that in prayer this morning before the service. God gave us a word. Fresh fire. And we need fresh fire in our life. We need to ignite this fire. You've got to tend to fire. You can't just sit there and watch it till it goes out. You got to blow on those embers. You got to continually feed it. So we got to. Some of you, you're letting your embers go out, and you're saying, oh, "I don't. I'm. I'm getting tired of church. I'm getting tired of serving in the so and so department or whatever." Ask God to blow on those fresh embers and, and remember why you do what you do because you love God, you love His people, and you love His purposes. You're not a mere mortal anymore. I'm not saying you're a god. Don't uh, something else somebody put on the news. <clears throat> but I'm saying God lives on the inside of you. It's okay. We're a warm, fun, loving family, eager to reach out. We are a church solidly positioned on the two greats. The great commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the great commission to go into all the world and tell them about this great love. We're eager to reach out because God said go. God said go into all the world. We're not a social club. And you know what? I'm seriously unhappy about every empty purple chair that you see. I'm seriously unhappy. And you should be too. 
Every empty purple chair that you see represents a life that could have been changed like yours was. We have an obligation as a body of Christ to be eager to reach out and invite people to church to fill these empty chairs. When we fill these chairs, I got some more in the back and we'll put some more in here. You see, I already added a row. And when we fill the church, then we'll get a new church, a bigger church. We'll begin to plant other churches. But we got to start where we're at. We're not a social club. No, no, we find out who we are. Yes, we fellowship, we, we pray, we share meals together, but we're an army for the living God. Soldiers in Jesus Christ's army with purpose. Soul winning church. And if you don't feel that way, then you really need your, your put some more wood on the fire. You need to ask God. To give you a heart to win souls for the kingdom. You need to ask the Holy Spirit to use you. Because it's Him that's going to do the winning. But you just do the speaking. You do the living. You're the hands and the feet. What was I going to say? Who knows? Say who? Who? <laughs> Jesus told another parable about the king's banquet. He was having a big banquet, and he had invited guests, and he killed the animals that they were going to eat and everything. And you know, back in those days, they didn't have a freezer. They, you know, if nobody showed up, they couldn't just put the meat in the freezer and save it for later. It was like, when you killed, when I slaughtered my animals, you better come. You said you was coming, right? But people made excuse. How many knows that this world is full of excuses and a lot of people have a whole long list of them, right? Maybe you got a few in your back pocket. We make excuses. But God said, man, that's not acceptable. In fact, the excuses they made were kind of dumb excuses. I just got married. Well, you can't come to a feast because you got married? You ought to hear some of the excuses I hear people stop coming to church. <laughs> I'm not going into that. So God says, well, go, you know, bring in the poor and the, the blind and the beggars. And so they went out. The servants went out. The servants went out. And they brought them in. They said, we brought them in, but there's still room. And then in Luke chapter 14, verse 23, the master said to the servant, and that's us, the servants, Go out into the highway and the hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. Say filled. Does this look filled? Is that on me? Some of it, my part. I noticed one thing. Since we started filming, and some of y'all have seen us on Facebook, everybody wants to sit in the back so it, nobody's on camera. What are you, ashamed of your faith? Come on, we need some people to sit in front so it don't look like we're an empty church on Facebook. <laughs> but better than that, how come we don't just fill this place up? You know, I'd like to have an overflow room. I'd like, to, I'd like for us to get out of here and get us a place. 
I'd like for us to have a new place with plenty of room and a neighborhood to reach out and some green grass for the kids to play on, wouldn't you? But more than that, I'd like to see those people saved that come here. I'd like to advance the kingdom of God and see people's lives change. I love that stuff. Don't you? Wow. So let's make sure this house gets filled. That's our culture. We, we're, not, we're not one of those churches that say, oh, we don't want new people. That's just going to be a big old headache. <laughs> it will be. It'd be easier, you know, but that's those churches that everybody's 85 years old now and they ain't had a kid come into the church in 24 years. What they going to do when the last person dies off? I like life. I love to hear the sound of children in them halls back there. Are you hearing what I'm saying? I want young families, old families, middle families. Give me the spotted and the broken and the beat down. From the highways and the byways and on the main highway. I don't care. Just give them. Bring them, Lord. Bring them. It ain't our job to straighten them out. We know you'll do your job, God. So we're eager to reach out with what? A program? Are we eager to reach out with a product? We're eager to reach out with God's love. And his name is Jesus. And his story is the gospel message that we preach. He is the love of God. You say, but I don't love those people. Who is those people? As you define them. The, the, I think we all probably could say, those people get on my nerves. Those people who believe like, those people who dress like. We have, we pigeonhole people and call them those people. But 1 John 4, 7 says, Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God, and anyone who loves as a child of God knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. And God so loved the whole world. But those people don't deserve God's love. But neither did we. Have you forgotten when you was up on that stage playing a guitar behind your head? <laughs> Couldn't even play a lick? Luke 6, 31 says, do this to others as you would like to have them do to you. Even if you love only those who love you, why should you get credit for that? Even sinners love those who love them. Stop putting people in boxes. And let God's love flow through you to everyone. Let God sort them out. In the end, it's not our job to judge and to hate on folks. Sinners sin. Get used to it. But while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Greater love is no man than this, than he laid down his life for his friends. But he laid down his life for sinners, of whom I am the chief, Paul said. question are you even trying to love those outside of your preferences you say well I don't think about it much well love talk is cheap anybody can say I love people 
I think the reason Jesus, when he was here on the earth, didn't go around saying, love your brother, love your sister, throwing around the word love, because he knew talk is cheap, and if we saw him doing that, that'd be all we'd do. We'd, we'd have an easy out. But what did Jesus do? He went around showing love to everyone, actually loving them, feeding the hungry, clothing the naked, healing the, the broken, touching the leper, feeding the hungry. Did I say that already? <laughs> Talk is cheap. 1 John four seventeen. I like this. And as we live in God, our love grows. Say love grows. Our love grows more perfect. You know, somebody, if, if they're spiritually in tune, they can tell from just talking to you for a few minutes how close you are to God. Because as you grow in Christ, as your relationship with Him flourishes, your love walk will change. Your love will begin to grow. The reason some of us are so mad at society and don't love people and are speaking more hatred than we are love, even as Christians, is because we, our relationship with Jesus has just gone downhill. We need to return to our first love so we have love for the rest of the world. As we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment. So what are we going to be judged on, you suppose? Could it be how well we loved others? But we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in the world. We follow after his model. What is God's love? Did God's love require you to be worthy of it? Did God measure out his love according to the severity of your sins? Well, they don't sin much. I love them more. Was God's love contingent on us having all our theology straight? I had a person leave the church one time because he said he didn't like who we let come to our corporate prayer. They didn't have their theology straight. Or did God's love chase you down despite the fact you were running hard away from it? That's how our love should be. You say, I'm giving up on that person. Don't give up. Maybe you need to step away for a minute, but pray. Pray for that person. You know, the Hebrew word for love is hesed. H-E-S-E-D. Hesed. And that's the Old Testament. You know, most of the Old Testament was written in the Hebrew. I think it was used like 254 times. There's not really an English word that can fully encapsulate its meaning, can do it justice whatsoever. But we see it defined with such terms as steadfast love. Now, we're talking about God's kind of love, right? In the New Testament, it would be more along the, the Greek word agape, God's kind of love. Steadfast love, faithful love, 
loyal love, merciful love, compassion, grace, goodness, kindness, eternal, limitless love. Willful, sacrificial love that intentionally desires another's highest good. It ain't so self-centered. In fact, it's not self-centered at all. That's God's love that we're talking about. Michael Hoodman said, Hesed runs deeper than social expectations. Somebody, some of us, you know, we might say, well, I'm doing as good as so-and-so. I'm acceptable, you know, I'm an acceptable Christian. But Hesed runs deeper than social expectations, responsibilities, fluctuating emotions. It's not based on emotions all the time. Or what is deserved or earned by the recipient. The message of the gospel, God's act of forgiveness and salvation in Jesus, is rooted in Hesed. Hesed describes the disposition of God's heart, not only toward his people, but to all of humanity. The love of God extends far beyond duty or expectation. God's Hesed manifested in forgiveness makes a relationship with him possible. Man, it's hard to love like that. You got to forgive. You got to love them despite themselves. You got to be, like I say, bigger on the inside. We got to grow bigger on the inside, bigger in our love for, the, for those who don't love us back. We got to be the adult in the room down here on earth. When your kids say, I hate you, but I love you, sweetheart. Somebody's got to be the adults down here. And God has called you. Look at your neighbor and say, you're the adult. Act right. <laughs> you know, if we don't have love, we don't have nothing. We don't have nothing. We're a clanging gong. We're, we don't have love. If this church does not love, then we're not even a church. We might as well close the doors and start a bingo place or something. <laughs> Ephesians 3.18 says, and may you have the power to understand. God wants you to, wait a minute, this is a holy moment. May you have the power to understand. As all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. You say, I, I, he completes me. No, he don't. You say, I want to be complete. I got that RV I wanted, and I'm still not complete. I got the house I wanted, I'm still not complete. It's still something missing. You will be made complete with all the fullness and life and power. Say, I want life. I want power. Well, it comes from God. It comes from that deep, wide, long, high love of God. 
you receiving and giving out. You know, this church has great potential to be a very, very special place. I believe in it with all my heart. That's why I try to pour out everything God gives me. I don't take this this job as as a shepherd of this church lightly. I believe in this church. I believe in the church, the the grander church, the Methodist churches, the Baptist churches. I believe in church. And I believe in you. And I believe if we'll stay with God's hesed, then we'll find ourselves in Him. We'll find our purpose in this life. We'll find our direction. We'll... We will be defined by Him and Him alone. And we will find fulfillment. Yes, I sometimes still sing. (laughs) Mostly because somebody else is not stepping up that can sing, probably. Not in their place. But I still sing. I still play guitar. I've done so at the jailhouse for many years, you know. Most of the time it takes a captive audience for them to put up with me. Mary, what you doing like this for? I saw that. <clears throat> but it is proof that God can even use and turn around the mistakes that we made in our life and use them for good when we get our motives right. Now I sing for the Lord. It may just be a joyful noise to you, but it means something to Him. So if you see me making a fool out of myself these days, guess what? I'll gladly be made a fool for Christ's sake. Because he is my judge. He's who I'm living for. It's his love that is making me complete. And it'll do it for you. And we can do it together. I believe in you. I believe in us. Would you bow your head and close your eyes for just a moment as I make an invitation for you to come to Christ? If there's anybody here today that that don't know this, you were born into sin, and you were lost and away from God because separated because of that sin. But Jesus died on the cross. He became one of us, and He bore the penalty for our sin. It was our cross. He died on your cross. And if you don't see that as love, I I don't know what to tell you. He came to take away the sins of the world. And he did so. God's wrath against sin was settled on his own son, Jesus. And now he's made a way for us to, to experience that love in our hearts and to become part of his family. And that's through confessing Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior. He's not asking you to clean up to be a a better person. He's not asking you to give more to this or that. He's asking you to say, I'm sorry for my sins. And will you be the Lord of my life? And then I put the rest in your hands. I'm just going to pursue a relationship with you. I know that's where I'll find my purpose in this life. If you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, he's reaching out to you right now. Possibly your heart is about to beat out of that rib cage. He's saying, come to me. Yes, I've waited for this moment. I've waited 
for you to give your heart to me so that we can make something of this life together. If you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, you want to be forgiven and brought into the family of God, would you lift your hand right now so that I can see? Yes, sir, I see. Anybody else? Maybe there's somebody on the live stream, just wherever you're at. There's no time or distance in the spirit. God sees us all. And this ain't about what's what I'm saying. This is about what he's going to do. When your heart and your, your mouth hook up together. Because he wants you to say out loud that you want him to be Lord. Because he's not going to go against your will. You have the free will to de- choose Jesus or to deny him. But I'm telling you, I've done both. And <laughs> once I chose Jesus, I, there's no turning back. It's the best thing I ever did. If you raised your hand in here today or if you raised your hand on the live stream there I want you to pray with me and maybe we all pray with them together okay just make a fresh declaration together because that's what a body does that's what a family does we're all in this together let's pray together let's say God forgive me of sin I repent I, I turn from the world I want to be part of your kingdom. Help me love like you love. Jesus, be the Lord of my life. I will follow you, your direction. I will will invest the talents you gave me and produce fruit for your kingdom. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Fill me with your love and the courage to be who you called me to be. I believe in you, Jesus. It's in your name I pray. Amen. to the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it and that it inspires you to live out God's Word. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church.